Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Forza Italian Football Podcast. As ever, I am your host, Connor Clancy. And joining me is just one man this week, but when it is this one man, I don't need anybody else. Vito Doria, welcome along. Yeah, thanks, Connor. It was a very exciting round to talk about, so that's great to be discussing. Unfortunately, my team had a shocker, so I'll try to battle one as we progress with this uh, analysis. Yeah, much appreciated, Vito. But there was a certain result that went very much in your team's favor as well. So you have that to get to, and we will be getting to that. So don't worry too much. Um, yeah, it, it was an exciting weekend. There were, I guess, just to start by looking at things in general, there were 33 goals or 34 goals. I don't know if I counted that before the the last minute drama in Udine, but there was one nil nil. And of course, I was there. And it was probably the worst game I will see this season. But again, we'll get to that. And Forza Italian Football's riders were at just six of the games this weekend. So again, standards are slipping. We'll get back. Don't worry. Uh, Okay. So yes, Vito, I guess the obvious place to start is where the round of action finished. Udinese nil, AC Milan won. And just about won. Um, Alessio Romagnoli, again, for the second time in a week, popping up with a last minute goal to win it for Milan and he's proving a bit of an unlikely hero for them it's very surprising on the basis that he is a defender and out of the center backs he's probably not as offensive as Matima Saka is that's not to say that he doesn't have the skills but you would think that he's the guy that's marshalling the defense and he's the captain at, uh, uh, in the first place so you'd think he'd be in the back line first that being said, no, he's actually got some decent skills from Agnoli. And I remember when he made his Serie A debut about five years ago, he even scored. So that was quite interesting. So to have him chip in with the goals in the last two games, uh, that's a pretty good effort. And 
hopefully it shows that Milan can share the load around. Yeah, well, that's something that I was trying to talk about last week. And that I, I think last week that when they beat Samp, am I right? Suzo, Cutrone and Higuain all scored. And I was thinking it was a good sign that the, the attacking players were sharing the goals around. And since then, Romani's, Romagnoli rather has got himself too. So if they can share the goals around, that is definitely promising. Um, I want to get your thoughts on Gennaro Gattuso setting up at a 4-4-2. It struck me that both Ricardo Rodriguez and Diego Laxalt played on the left. Do you think this is something he should look to use more, especially with Cutrone and Higuain striking up that relationship? I would personally persist with it. My reasoning for that is because Diego Laxo, in fact, used to be a left midfielder or left winger, and he only really became a left wing back when he played at Genoa. If he can uh, rediscover that attacking flair or intent, I think he can still be a very useful player on that left flank as well as Rodriguez. So at least they'll have that supply on that side of the pitch, and it might be more frustrating for opposition defenders to contain. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm a big fan of Diego Laxalt. I I do have question marks about Ricardo Rodriguez's defensive capabilities, so maybe the two of them could maybe swap, let Rodriguez play as the left midfielder, because I do trust Laxalt a bit more defensively. The live viewers are building up. Remember, if you do have any questions or you want to get involved in the conversation, don't hesitate to drop a message in the, the live chat. We can see already the, the Milan fans are building. Um, uh, there's three comments from Milan fans already and one response from an Inter fan that we won't get into just yet. Uh, the derby was a couple of weeks ago, so we'll leave that there. But Gonzalo Higuain went off injured, Vito, and thankfully for Gattuso's pers- point of view, it doesn't look like it's going to be too serious. He came back out and watched the rest of the game from the bench. It's looking likely that he'll be rested against Betis, but he should be fit to play his former club Juventus next week. But if he does miss that game, how big of a blow would that be? Although I'm very skeptical of Higuain's performances in big games, especially in big finals, I still think he would be a loss. Obviously, this is not a final, but with his experience and the big name that he possesses, I think Milan are better off having him in the team if he is fit enough. Whenever I see Milan play, he tends to be more involved than what he was at Juventus, and he's not always in that penalty box. So I think if he's out, that will still be missing uh, an important dimension to the play. Yeah, I think his importance goes beyond just scoring, as we've seen with him. He's almost nurturing Patrick Cutrone while the two of them are on the pitch together, and that is a partnership that should be feared by everyone in Serie A, including Juventus. The win does keep Milan in fourth place, just about after Lazio's earlier win. They're still four points shy of Inter and Napoli in second and third, but it's a really big win. Just before we move on from this, actually, I do want to talk briefly about Romagnoli's goal. Um, But I want to look at Udinese because they were disgraceful. They got caught on the counter-attack and at one stage it was five Milan players, including their centre-back, Alessio Romagnoli, against three Udinese defenders. And 
as the ball eventually goes into the goal, two Udinese players. One of them was Marco D'Alessandro. I don't know who the other one was. We're, we're just seeing lightly jogging back into the box. And then D'Alessandro has the nerve to kind of throw his hand up in, in complaints that the rest of his teammates didn't deal with it. But, Vito, that was absolutely shambolic defending. How did they allow themselves to get into that position? Well, I don't want to go into too much, but let's face it. They made a bad choice in coach at the start. And to be honest, I don't think they've really had a good coach since Francesco Guidolin, and we're talking four years. Uh, no, I was a critic of the appointment of Julio Velasquez at the start of the season, and nothing much has changed since then. So I don't know where he's going to turn things around or how he's going to turn things around. Udinese look like a team that's just making up the numbers in Serie A at the moment. And really, Rodrigo De Paul was the main shining light. Otherwise, the rest of the team, including at the fence, is uh, yeah, just a mess. And again, it looks like one team they'll just hope for they'll just hope for a squad that will just make up the numbers, maybe pull out one or two stars, and that's it. But yeah, I don't see much forward planning there. Yeah, you did write quite damningly of their appointment of Velasquez at the start of the season. We'll have to dig that out and share it out on Twitter and stuff. If if I forget, do it yourself and I'll retweet it because I more than likely will forget. But mm-hmm. I remember thinking that that could come back to bite you at the time. But no, it, it looks like you are vindicated so far this season. All right, um, we've done one Milan club. Let's do the other. Inter beat, Inter absolutely destroyed Genoa 5-0. I was at the San Siro for this one. My first time at San Siro as press, it was pretty amazing. And so was Inter's performance. And the thing that struck me and everyone else watching this was that it wasn't Inter's first team. They made so many changes. Mero Cardi wasn't playing. He didn't even need to come on and save them as we've seen him had to do before, notably against Parma when it didn't quite go to plan. They still lost. But the first comment on this game has come in, and it's exactly where I wanted to start. João Mario, he was amazing. Three assists, one goal. Vito, what more could you ask for? Nothing more, really. Not only is it his best performance in an Inter shirt, but I might even go as far as to say it's probably been the best game since he played for Portugal in the Euro 2016 final when they bet France 1-0. He was fantastic in that final with his ball-winning ability and covering the ground, and in this game, he showed more attacking intent and willingness to, you know, supply his teammates. So although he's been a critic of Italian football and Italy as a country, I've been happy with this particular performance, and I really hope it's a stepping stone for better things to come for him as well as for Inter themselves. And I do hope it gives him a chance to open his eyes bit more about Italian football and embrace the league and the style of play. We've had a comment describing him as the Portuguese goat, which I'm sure is quite pointed towards a certain Portuguese playing in Turin at the moment, but we won't get too much into that. Jean Mario, though, was excellent. He really was. He barely put a foot wrong all game. <laughs> We've just had a comment say, who knew, who knew he could actually shoot? But yeah, I, I think you are absolutely right. I've not seen him play this well since Euro 2016 with Portugal. 
and it's quite good to see him settling in and with Roberto Gagliardini shining as well in midfield it shows that Inter do have maybe a little bit more depth than we thought but with regard to João Mario Vito do you think he can redeem himself in Italy or is it just a case of Inter and Spalletti hoping he puts in a few good performances now for the next month and then they can sell him for a bit of money in January or has he actually got a place that he can win in this team? On the basis of the last two and a half years, one would assume that they would be hoping that he has a good run and that they can cash in on him. That being said, I don't think Inter will really get the money that they want for him as yet. So I really hope that Spalletti and Gelmaru himself look at this performance and then see it as the basis for better performances and also that he can play better as the season progresses. I think that uh, Inter should not really be spending too much money on the transfer market as it is, but if they keep things as they are in January, then it's better that Jean Mario can show that he can be involved in the construction of Inter's play and that he can stand up in big games because we've seen with Portugal that he is a big game player and he can put in the hard yards. So if he can do that for winter, that would be fantastic. Yeah, for sure. I, I did mention Roberto Gagliardini there and he's who I want to discuss next because he was arguably better than Jao Mario. I think Jao Mario was only the third best player on the pitch. Gagliardini and Politano both outplayed him. I was so happy for Gagliardini. Obviously, as an Atalanta fan, having watched him come through with the Bergamaschi and seeing him go to Inter, and he was excellent at the San Siro for, what was it, the first four months there? He went in January for the rest of that season. He was really, really good. And then it kind of changed, and it's been a downward spiral for him ever since. But I, I'm hoping that this is a turning point for Gagliardini, and I think it can be because he seemed so relieved to score those goals. You could see how happy he was in his celebrations. He came in through the mixed zone after the game and you could see how happy he was. He stood there as um, Romulo was speaking for doing the Genoa press duties. Gagliardini stood there and he was just smiling the whole time for about five, ten minutes, just standing there smiling. He knew he had had a good performance. He knew that people were going to be praising him and he was just absolutely excited to talk about it. Gagliardini is another one then, Vito. He's started six Serie A games for them this season. He's not always playing. Can he nail down a place in Spalletti's regular starting eleven as well? It will be tough for him to do that with the likes of Vecino uh, and Brozovic in the team, but I would like him to do so. The more Italians, the merrier, I say. Another thing I would look at is that I've seen Gagliardini get into goal-scoring positions in previous games for Inter, and he's been extremely wasteful, whereas this time against Genoa, he was able to take his chances, and I reckon that's what he needs. Although he's not an out-and-out striker, he can make those late runs into the box, so if he's another scoring outlet for the Nerazzurri, I think it would be great for Spalletti, and it would be also great for Gagliardini's confidence, because... I don't think he's a bad player, but he's also got to show everyone that 
he wasn't just good because he came through the Atalanta youth ranks and that he fit into Gasparini's system. If he can show that he can perform at a big club and perform under Spalletti, I think that would do a great deal for his confidence, would really boost it up. And he does get called to the Italian national team. So hopefully that means he can sustain a place in the national team and actually be a good contributor when Roberto Mancini gives him opportunities. Yeah, that's the one thing that's kind of haunted Gagliardini throughout his still short career so far is his finishing. As good as he is everywhere else, once it becomes the time for him to shoot, he's generally quite poor. And I don't know if it's a confidence thing, if he just panics or what, but even at Atalanta, he would pass up opportunities where he really should score. Maybe the fact that he didn't have all that much time to think about either of these finishes was probably a good thing. The first one just kind of popped up. Jean Mario was running in, he tried to shoot, he missed the ball, and Gagliardini was just there to slot it in. And then the second one, obviously, just bounced to him two yards out, and he absolutely smashed it in. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, hopefully he can take some confidence from this. Another thing about him is that I don't think there's any one thing that he's amazing at, but he's quite good at everything except for finishing. He, he's decent in the air, he's decent off the ball defensively. He's a decent passer, but there's not one thing that defines his game. Like he's not, you know, Andrea Pirlo sits and dictates play. Daniele De Rossi was, I don't know, historically more of a hard man than he is now. These players have that one thing that make them stand out. Gagliardini hasn't really got that. But when he's on form, you tend to get pretty consistent performances from him every week. Uh, David De Nicola says Inter will beat Barca, which is a big claim. Vito, do you want to... Pick up that. It's going to be extremely tough to do that, even with Raja Noingalan returning. So I'm going to be pessimistic at the moment so that Barcelona should be getting at least a point, if not the victory there. But I do hope Inter prove me wrong and actually get a result. Good. Um, I would love to see that. It would be pretty amazing, especially if Messi does play. It would be it's going to be a difficult task, let's face it. And Luis Suarez is in incredible form too. One player who Inter will be hoping can cause Barca some problems though is Matteo Politano. And once again, he was excellent. I put out a tweet about 20 minutes in to say he's been brilliant here so far. And Nick, rest in peace, wrote back to us to say that he's been excellent all season. It's a fair point. Though. We tend to focus on the others with Inter. Perisic and Nicardi usually grab the headlines, but Politano has been very good since going there. He's a very inventive player and skillful too. I do like it when he's on the ball and I do like watching him play. The only thing about him is I'd like him to be more involved in the goals, whether it be actually scoring them or providing them. So I thought it was a pretty good goal that he scored and Hopefully he can continue that trend because he's another one that's under Roberto Mancini's view for the national team. If he can be performing well for Inter and he does get opportunities in the Champions League as well, I think it would be a big plus for his career. And the way he plays makes Inter look a lot less um, uh, look a lot less predictable. So hopefully he keeps the form up. Absolutely. He he was really good. He was beating his man on the outside, on the inside. He got his goal, which he took very well, kept composed, finished it nicely. And 
really he should have had an assist before I think it was before Gagliardini even scored and he put in an incredible cross like what we described Souza was doing he cut in from the right whipped it into the back post and Lautaro Martinez really should have scored but he kind of needed or thighed it off target when he probably should have hit the target but um, yeah Politano was excellent and it would be great to see him continue this form Samir Handanovic has been someone that we've spoken about a little bit this season. And this will seem harsh because Inter won 5-0, but I want to talk about the goalkeeper. There was an incident at, I think it was 1-0, where the ball was rolled back to him. He was at his near post and he tried to play a first-time pass across his own goal and box to, I can't remember who it was. I think it might have been Stefan de Vrij. He kind of mishit it. Do you remember like Daniela Padelli did a couple of years ago for Torino? And in Padelli's <laughs> case, the ball just trickled into the net. But thankfully for Handanovic's safety, it, it didn't. It rolled across his goal and they managed to scramble it clear. There have been question marks around Handanovic this season, particularly when he has the ball at his feet. And it seems like he's going to be asked to do that a little bit more this year. Do you Inter need to consider bringing in somebody else to replace him? Or... Can they rely on him to perform every week? I do recall the moment that you're talking about, and I reckon the commentator was a bit scared when he saw that. He thought maybe it would have been like another comical goal or something like that. Putting that aside, I think Andanovic has shown a few signs of decline, even though he's around 34 years old, and goalkeepers are usually... Top performance at that age, but Andanovic does not seem to be as commanding as he has been in previous years. So I think Inter should look around for another goalkeeper. And although I haven't seen strong sources report this, but it's possible they might go after Simone Scuffet from Udinese. So uh, some of the big teams have started to look for younger goalkeepers in the last couple of years. And perhaps uh, Inter should go down that path as well. Yeah, I think Napoli kind of got the trick right by signing Alex Merritt in the summer because I do think he's probably the best of that new generation of goalkeepers coming through. Anyway, that's enough Inter. We will go to... Right, let's go to Napoli, actually. They beat Empoli 5-1. They were very impressive. Andres Mertens is back to his very best with an impressive hat-trick. Fito, good news for the Belgian... Good news for Napoli. I think it was excellent the way Napoli played and also Mertens in particular played a fantastic game. I had my doubts about how Mertens would adapt to Ancelotti's formation and how he would adapt to Ancelotti's game plan, but he showed that he still got the magic. It was a fantastic hat-trick, especially the goal that he scored to make it 3-1 that long-range shot that looped over the Empoli goalkeeper, Prevedel. And I think it's ideal that Insigne and Mertens are working well as a duo in the 4-4-2 because they still have that fluidity and it still makes Napoli look rather unpredictable. So although Maurizio Sarri is gone, Carlo Ancelotti has still managed to utilise the Belgian and he... He knows how to produce some outstanding goals too. So that's great to see from a football fan's perspective. It 
it is an absolute joy to watch Insignia and Mertens combine when they're on their game. And Callihan usually joins in too, more so when they're playing in the 4-3-3. But yeah, Insignia and Mertens just have this understanding. It's almost as if they've been playing with each other since they were children on the streets and they've always known what the other is going to do, where the other is going to be. And I know it's cliche, but they really look like they are enjoying playing with each other. When they score, you see them celebrate. They're absolutely loving it. And the longer this goes on, the better, because Napoli, even without Maurizio Sarri, have been an absolute joy to watch this year. And I have to hold my hand up and say, I was wrong about my doubts about Carlo Ancelotti, it seems. The season is still long. I I accept that. But he has done a really good job just keeping things ticking over there while also making changes. One of the changes he has made this season, and this is something I wrote about, it was either early this week or last week. I can't remember. I've just been so busy. But um, Nikola Maksimovic has come back into the setup. He's not playing every week, but under Ancelotti, he has proven Maurizio Sarri wrong, and he has shown that he still has a role to play in this team. He's he's formed a good partnership with Kalidou Koulibaly. Um, he offers versatility in that he can play as right back as well as in the centre. And he's, he's decent on the ball. What was Sarri's problem with Maksimovic? Because he's, he seems to be showing that there, there were no footballing reasons for his exclusion. It just seemed very strange. But Sarri was just too stubborn in that aspect. I do like Sarri as a coach. I like him very much, in fact. But that particular aspect of his coaching was something... That stunned me a bit. I thought he could have worked a bit more with his reserve players and find better ways to utilise them. It came to a point where Napoli's formation and starting lineups were becoming too easy to work out. So I reckon that Sardi should have been able to integrate Maksimovic and the other players a bit more. But that's all in the past now. And now it's Ancelotti that's really utilising the full squad at its disposal. And I think Napoli will be better off in the long term because knowing that they've got that depth, that should enable them to compete better in the Champions League and in the Coppa Italia as well. So I don't think there'll be that prime focus on Serie A and trying to win that third Scudetto. This is the thing, and this is something we said pre-season as well, as Carlo Ancelotti isn't really a league manager, is he? He's, he's a cup competition winner. And Napoli, if they do get out of this group, which they are, I'm not going to say well-placed to do, but they are better placed than we thought they would be after they slipped up in their first and easiest game of the group. So it will be amazing to see a few more big nights at the Stadio San Paolo. And Ancelotti knows how to do well in Europe. Um, right, someone who came in this summer and... Had a slow start. He didn't play that much, but now is showing exactly why Napoli bottom was Fabian Ruiz Vito. He is a perfect player for Napoli, and he's not a direct replacement for Jorginho, but he slots into that team in a different role, but just as nicely as Jorginho did. He does. I must admit, I barely watched him when he was at Real Betis, so my knowledge of him was very limited. But when he has played for Napoli, I've been very impressed with him. And I do like that he's composed on the ball. He's generally got good feet. He's also got a decent shot on him too. So, uh, again, he's another outlet for Napoli to provide with goals. So, 
he'll make uh, Napoli another uh, competitive team. Oh, he'll keep uh, Napoli an entertaining team to watch. So, you know, he's one guy that fans can keep an eye out for. And I think moving forward, he'll be a good short-term option. But I think in the long term, he's really got some benefits because he's only in his early 20s. So there's plenty to be positive about in regards to him. Definitely. I've only seen Napoli in the flesh once this season. And I really want that to change. I'm looking through the fixtures now, trying to see when I can get to see them again, because they're playing some really nice stuff. And the time I saw them in Turin, they were excellent as well. Um, Lorenzo Insigne in particular that day was absolutely phenomenal. But I think we'll move on from that. Actually, no, Caputo seems to be the only Empoli player that is able to score this season. And before the season started, and even after the first couple of games, we were praising Empoli's attacking system. But they're too reliant on one player to score their goals for them, which doesn't usually have a good ending. Are they going to be lucky to survive this year, Vito, do you think? On the basis of the first 11 rounds, it does seem that they're going to be lucky to survive if Caputo's just providing the goals. They need a bit more from the midfielders to contribute as well, especially the attacking midfielder, Mikhail Zaych, who's a good assist man, but not much of a goal scorer. Antonino Laguna, as we discussed last week, has been disappointing in Serie A, so um, even if they do keep him for the long term, maybe in January they need another striker who's got a bit more Serie A experience and can take that pressure off Caputo because Caputo's been playing well. He scored five goals this season, but if he's the only one that's scoring the goals, um, that's very hard for Andrea Zoli and also for Empoli in general. And also, Empoli wouldn't want opposition defenders to be shutting down Caputo because if there's extra space for the other players, they don't look good enough to capitalise on those chances. Definitely. I won't have a bad word said about Lagomina this week, though, Vito, because he's absolutely tearing it up for me in my football manager safe at the moment. Um, I'm with Barry and Serie B. I brought him in after a terrible start on loan, and he is firing me up into the playoff places. So leave him alone this week. You can <laughs> you can start bashing him again next. Um, all right, that's enough. Now, actually, Kaladu Kulabali was amazing. His run up the pitch as if he was Lorenzo Insigne for the opening goal was incredible. But all right, that really is enough Napoli for the third time. Where will we go now? Lazio beat Spal 4-1. And this... While the point of your piece still stands firm, because this wasn't a big game, the timing of your piece was unfortunate because I published it on Saturday morning, um, basically about Lazio's big game mentality is probably something that's going to cost them this year. I won't give too much away because people should go over there and read it. It's a good piece as always, Vito. But then he went and kind of just Thank took Spal apart. But uh, Spal, we'll start with Spal. I'm worried for them because they got smashed 3-0 by Frosinone. Now they've lost against Lazio, another heavy defeat. And after a good start, they seem to be regressing to the mean again, which they should still be able to stay up, but they are only on 12 points and they're just three points ahead of Bologna. And that says a lot given how poor Bologna have been this season. 
and they're six points clear of Empoli, who occupy the last relegation spot. Spal, Vito, should should they be looking over their shoulders, or have they got enough about them over the course of a season to get back up towards mid-table? There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. I reckon they should be looking over their shoulders because they have been leaking goals in the last two weeks. But my general criticism of them is that they're not taking enough shots or even the chances that they do have, they're not capitalising on them. So I think Leonardo Semplici has to really sit them down and get them to work on their shooting. I don't care if it's just the strikers or the whole squad. they got to find, you know, scoring options from anywhere. And I reckon it's that lack of goals that's going to really kill Spal. I like Spal. Uh, I do think they actually are a good team to watch in general, but you know it doesn't matter how good you are to watch. You've got to be more concrete, more effective, and you've got to finish off those chances. And Spal have not been doing that often enough. Not just this season, but even last season was the same story with them. Agreed. And w- one of the strikers they did bring in was Andrea Patania. Um, I think he's got three goals this season. Two of those, of course, came against his old club, Atalanta. Um, I saw him play a lot over the last three years, and I really do like Andrea Patania. I think he can do absolutely everything that you would want the striker to do, but he can't score. He just can't score, which is unfortunately how strikers are judged because his link-up play is amazing. His work rate is fantastic. He's quicker than people give him credit for. He has better feet than people give him credit for. He creates a lot of chances, but when it comes to him being in the box and being responsible for taking one of those chances, 19 times out of 20, he doesn't do it. And unfortunately, Spal would probably rather he did everything that he can't do and didn't do everything that he does do at the moment. It's, it's a tricky situation for them. But onto Lazio, another team who are reliant on one player for goals, and that's Chiro Immobile, and he got two again, Vito... 
Have you anything to say about Lazio? We did have Alistair McKenzie at this game. We might hear from him in the audio version of the podcast. Um, but yeah, Vito, any thoughts? Although I am critical about the big game temperament, this is the type of win that they've been used to producing while Simone Inzaghi has been the coach. Uh, these comprehensive wins are the kind of thing that they can do on the day. And Immobile in particular is a fantastic finisher for them. That being said, it was the two second half goals from Danilo Cataldi and Marco Parola that really stood out. They were fantastic long-range strikes. And if I had to talk specifically about one player side Immobile, I do like the fact that Cataldi scored that goal and set up the first for Immobile because he's been a player that I haven't been overly impressed with, but he's been highly rated by those in the know for quite a few years. So maybe this is the breakthrough that he needs and hopefully it's a catalyst for better performances going forward. Okay, Fita, we will move on quickly now to Fiorentina-Roma. We're not going to talk about this too long for those of you watching on YouTube because we had Vieri Capretta at that game and I will be speaking to him shortly after we record this and I'll be inserting the audio into the audio version of the podcast, which you can get on iTunes, SoundCloud, Acast, and Spotify now too. And basically anywhere you get podcasts, you can get it there. So do download that and listen because we do like to put in some extra treats for our audio subscribers. So Vito, right, very quickly, very quickly. Fiorentina left it, or Roma rather, left it late to get their equalizer. I think it was Alessandro Florenz. He got it in the end and... This is another game where Roma didn't impress. And I keep getting bashed for this in the comments and on Twitter and by email and basically everywhere. But Roma, for me, haven't played well once this season. Maybe against Lazio, but Lazio's big game mentality is questionable. But I haven't seen Roma play once this year and thought, yep, they look like a good side. What's going on? They've had the moments, but it, again with them, the most impressive performances have usually been against weaker sides, so they've probably been made to look good in that sense. They do, they did play well in the derby, but uh, yeah, again, the problem with Roma is that they've changed too many players and... You know, I don't think it's uh, entirely Di Francesco's fault that they're performing so inconsistently. I think he should shoulder some responsibility, but not all of it. I do think with Roma, though, they should focus more on Europe because that's where they've had the more impressive performances. And in the league, they just don't look as uh, impressive or sometimes they might even come across as that they look a bit disinterested in comparison to the Champions League fixtures. Um, one thing that came from this game was afterwards, again in the mixed zone, Fiore Capretta was around for a conversation with Kevin Morales. And Vito, I think you will like what he said. He said that mm. Serie A is much more difficult than the Premier League. I, I thought I'd just give you a chance to talk about that for a couple of seconds if you wanted to. Well, I think for those who are well acquainted with social media and you know other platforms, you do get whether it's the British pundits or English Premier League bandwagoners trying to rubbish non-English football and they rely on dated stereotypes or things that they say. It's not like that they'll happily admit to saying, 
we don't watch this league enough. We're not going to make a comment. We just like EPL. So it's good when people who have had the experience of being in both leagues can say what league is unique, what league has this characteristic and whatnot. So for Morales or anyone who's played in both EPL and Serie A to say that thing, I think it's uh, good because at least they're in the know. They've actually been in the pitch. They've been in the locker room, so they know what it's like. Every league has their own unique uh, characteristics, and, of course, English football is known for its pace and physicality, whereas Italian football is known about the organisation and the tactics. So English football can be hard for some people because of the pace and physicality, whereas with Serie A, you've got to be a lot more shrewd, more cunning, and that's what Mihrales is experiencing at the moment. And for me personally, as someone of Italian ancestry and a fan of Italian football, um, I think that's the ultimate thing. I think hard work should just be an additional characteristic. Skills and football smarts should be the most important thing for professional footballers. And I think Mihrales has uh, realised that even in a short time in Florence. 100%. Okay, now... Video viewers, I'm sorry, but this is where you miss out on a few minutes of content because Fieri Capretta is joining us now on the audio podcast and Dov Schiavone will be joining shortly after to talk about Juventus's 3-1 win over Cagliari. Yeah, Fieri Capretta does now join me on the line trying to be as quiet as he possibly can in his hotel room in Napoli at the moment. But Vieri, we spoke last week about Giovanni Simeone being missed by La Viola. This time he started, but his goal drought continued. What is behind his problems in front of goal this season? The lack of goals by uh, Giovanni Simeone is really one of the main issues uh, for Fiorentina this season so far. It's the kind of uh, missing bit between... uh, uh, those draws we've had recently and uh, potential victories. He's had a couple of chances against Torino and against Roman. He's just unable to take them, obviously. You know, he works a lot for the team and that means he, he when he gets to it, he has uh, uh, he's more tired than, um, than a lot of other strikers. But even so, even that penalty he got against Olsen, he had made a mistake there too. So there are limitations in his game in terms of how he technically uh, deals with the ball. A lot of uh, mistouches, mistakes. He often has a heavy touch when it comes to controlling the ball. He should have done better on that Keza assist. But of course, it's not just down to him. It's also down to the the service it gets from uh, the team. So I think the Simeone we know is better than this one. But maybe he's not as good as what we think he he can really be. I think but between now and the end of the season, he'll get another seven or eight goals uh, in the league, at least, to make it about 10, 12 in total. But right now he's really struggling and perhaps he could uh, um, break this mental block at Frosinone, which doesn't seem exactly like the hardest of games. <laughs> no, absolutely not. I mean, it's one of the easiest games he will play all season so you would hope he can get back to scoring this weekend someone who did impress though for Roma Nicolo Zaniolo he got his first Serie A start how did he get on and how does he slot into this Roma side now Zaniolo was really impressive 
man of the match for Roma without a doubt. I was personally impressed seeing him live at the stadium by how how physically strong he is and, and big as well, uh, giving someone like Jordan Vertu, who's a very physical player, a really, really tough time. And uh, adding to that, great technique. Uh, he had some very good touches, some some good uh, dribbles, and a, an interesting shot as well that uh, almost um, beat Lafont. So we're talking about a very complete midfielder and um, perhaps he should get more space, to be honest. Obviously, the reason he started is Roma were lacking uh, uh, De Rossi in midfield, so Pellegrini went further down the pitch and Zaniolo started in the hole behind Dzeko. But I think he should start regardless. He can probably play alongside Zonzi as well. And um, what we have here is a midfielder who at 19 years of age can dominate games and really make a difference. And I think he, he should be a starting member of, of Roma, uh, especially in games that don't demand great leadership and charisma because he, you know, he might not have it just yet. Uh, but he's a, he's a very, very interesting and very talented midfielder for sure and could potentially be the future of the national team as well. We all know how good Juventus are, but against Cagliari, it was never even a contest, was it? Juventus went ahead pretty much as soon as the game kicked off. Well, yeah, I think it was 43, well, on, on the, the, the scoreboard in the Allianz Stadium corner, it was 43 seconds. Um, and then I think Opta had it at 42, so what else? around 40 seconds if you want, which is the second quickest goal the season. And the Caputo's goal for Empoli against Sassuolo was uh, 17 seconds, so it wasn't as fast as that. Um, but yeah, you, you kind of, like I thought, sitting there, that this is going to be another one of those games at the Allianz Stadium with Juve where it's just an absolute snooze fest because they're good. they've scored early, they'll probably get another one before half-time and then one just after and then the last half hour will be just nothing. Just Juve kind of playing out the game, getting the three points. But kind of, to their credit, uh, Cagliari did really well and actually for the majority of the, the kind of first half... Um, or for the the majority of the first half up until the point in which they scored, they did really well and kind of had Juve kind of pinned back on, uh, in bits. Um, and then obviously they got their goal, which was a really kind of well-taken goal. And then the stupid thing is, is that after, after you get back on level terms, you don't go and concede an own goal two minutes later, which is a bit rubbish. Um, you take a leaf out of Genoa's book and you defend and you defend and you defend and you defend <laughs> some more and you make sure that the Juventus don't score again. Um, again Sorry, Dov, did, did you it. just advise somebody to take a leaf out of Genoa's book? But in, in, in the context of how they played against Juventus when they got uh, back on level terms, because whenever they, they got that goal, there was absolutely no inclination from Genoa to attack. They had everybody in their own half. It was... Let's just. It wasn't even like parking the bus. It was like parking like a fleet of buses. It's just like nothing was going into that Genoa net, um, and that's what Cagliari should have like maybe have kind of done for a little bit at least. But instead, they went and decided that they wanted to score in their own net as well. Um, it was really rubbish. Like, I don't know what the boy was trying. And um, Bradaric, he was awful. He got taken off like Justin 
um, just at the start of the second half as well. Um, but I know you, you, uh, we've spoken about Juve, me personally, and you guys in the pod, and you, you kind of struggle to think of things to say about them, right? Because they are so good and they are better than everybody and they're still so good and better than everybody. But something that kind of Allegri brought up um, in the press conference after the game and he was talking about how uh, Juve were allowing too many crosses. Uh, they were just... And to be honest, the Calgary did have a fair few uh, crosses into the box. The problem was they were all rubbish crosses. They were either too long or too hard or just wayward kind of like straight to a defender so I mean if if Calgary had kind of been a bit more I say clinical with their final balls it could have been a bit of a different result or it might have been a bit more of a um, a bit more effort from Juve to, to to get the win but obviously Calgary are a team that are kicking about the bottom of Serie A and have done for a few years so Juve were always going to win that, especially when the own goal uh, went in. So, but I think Allegri says Juve are defensively where he wants them to be. He says people need to work. He said the same thing against Genoa. So maybe that, that's something that maybe the fans should be looking out for, that Juventus aren't as defensively sound as they maybe were last season and certainly not as defensively sound as Allegri wants them to be. And... Uh, just another point as well, because obviously it's been a week since it was last on the podcast. Um, I think six of the goals, you or five or six of the goals you've conceded have basically come as a direct consequence of a Leonardo Bonucci mistake. And I'll thank Adam Digby for that statistic. Um, so obviously he's come back, I, but... I did want to raise Bonucci actually as you were speaking there, so I'm, I'm glad you've done it for me, but... I've, I've seen him get criticised. <laughs> we spent too long together this summer, oh. I think. <laughs> um, he's, he has we're in separate beds, people. In we're in minutes. separate beds. Well, that's what you thought, though. Um, <laughs> right. Let's get let's get serious here for a minute, please. Right? Because Benucci sure. has been criticised a lot this season mm. by nobody more than he has been by Juventus fans themselves. But... If Allegri is talking about these problems and you're talking about crosses being allowed come into the box, are the problems at the back not deeper rooted than just Benucci? Should these crosses even be coming in in the first place? To, to be honest, I think it's just the, uh, the the standard of the team they're playing against. I think Juventus players and the staff know that if they really want to, they could literally they could probably score six, seven, eight goals against Calgary if they really, really turned it on. I mean, you looked at how they look at how they played against Manchester United. Manchester United were in the Champions League the other week. Juventus never gave them a sniff, and that was kind of like Old Trafford has always been a difficult place to go for for teams in Europe and. Juventus went there and, and, and dominated against a team uh, as bad as United are this season. <laughs> They're probably still better than Cagliari, and Juventus just made them look like a pub team. So I think it's a bit of, of kind of complacency against, oh, we're only playing Cagliari, that'll be all right. We've got Ronaldo, we've got Dybala, we've got uh, Bernardeschi, we've got Douglas Costa. So it doesn't really make a difference. And I think that just kind of is it. I mean, there were times in the game for <laughs> Cancelo, who, who obviously likes the ball forward, was just, get, he just, he was just going up front and he was kind of standing in the box at times. And then Juve would lose possession. They would just kind of stroll back to his position which 
against the bigger teams, he won't do that and he'll know he can't do that. But against Cagliari or, or Genoa or Sassuolo or Bologna, you can get away with it. And I think I think for me, it just comes down to this, the level the teams are playing against where they don't really need to worry about it. I mean, look, they've got their best ever, their best ever start uh, to a Serie A season after living games. Um, the record they had, I think, was 28 points. They've now got 31. So they've had their best ever start to the season. Uh, they've equaled Serie A's best ever start, which was done by Roma and Napoli. And both of those teams never won the Scudetto after doing that. But I don't think that's going to... I think that's certainly going to change this year. So, I mean, what, like, what, what else do you want them to do? They've won 10 of 11 games. Like, it's difficult to find faults in this team. It really, really is. Um, so yeah, there's maybe a few defensive questions, but I think that when the uh, the big teams come to to town, the Juventus will step up. I can't, I can't, I can't see them not doing it. At, at their current rate, Juventus are on to pick up 107 points in Serie A this season. How, how many? Of those how many Connor? How many? At the current rate, they they are on to pick up 107 points. This season, it's not bad, huh? no. How how many of those do you think they will get? Because I think this is the only interesting thing about Juventus now is predicting how many points they will get when they inevitably win the league by about twenty. I, I reckon they'll break a hundred again. All right, and on that rather depressing note, it's not depressing. thanks for joining us, Dov. Thank you very much, Connor Clancy. It's always a pleasure to be on the podcast. <laughs> Always, mate. It's always good to have you on the podcast. Well, you're not going to talk about Torino. I thought you wanted to talk about Torino. That was fun. Actually, I don't really care about what happened on the pitch because we, <laughs> I went into that with Vito on the podcast. But tell us what you saw on the stands. Well, it was quite funny because um, a lot of the Sampdoria fans were getting really, really angry with the referee in performance, like every single little free kick that wasn't going their way, they were getting on about it. And I was sat just a couple of rows behind um, Urbano Cairo, the president of Torino. And obviously where the uh, kind of the important people sit, it's very, very close to the fans. So like, you know, what happens is obviously you have stewards dotted around, but they're not really visible. Maybe have one in every corner or something like that. Um, and then obviously... I think I think it was the penalty actually it was when they, they really got annoyed because for, honestly from where I was sat it looked very very soft I've not seen a replay of it but it looked soft um, and obviously all the, the like the president and the directors all celebrated getting a penalty and then he basically had the group of SAP fans <laughs> that were sat directly next to them just yeah all of them were stood up just giving them abuse and just shouting obscenities at them and there was people in front of them who were uh, turning around and doing exactly the same every time a decision uh, went to Reno's way and it got to the point where um, when the penalty was was uh, taken and scored that the, the, the stewards had to basically form a barrier between the Samp fans and the Torino president because they were just literally giving them dog's abuse. And there was one funny moment which I, thought I, was, I was messaging you about during the game when there was like, so, like they'd kind of calmed down a wee bit and everybody had kind of sat down, but they were still shouting, but they were kind of sitting down shouting. And then just some guy, this wee guy, just came wandering up and and just I just leant on the barriers next to where the, the Torino guys were sitting and like some little steward little girl just said can you go and sit down and they just kind of like 
acknowledged what she said, took like one step back, but didn't move. And then I just see them, Massimo Ferrero's bodyguard, who's a giant man, just walking in front of where the director was in and just looking at this guy. And I've never seen a guy run away so fast in my life. It was quite funny. <laughs> um, but yeah, they, they weren't happy. It was quite, it was interesting to watch um, the, 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 the abuse that was given. Not that we condone abuse. No, it was it was an impressive wall that the stewards built in the photo that you sent me. I quite yeah, admired it was, that. It was two people deep, like five <laughs> people long. Although to be fair, it's all little girls, so I don't know what they're gonna do. Like, it's, it's like if the, if the Sant fans decide they want to go do something, it's like a little twenty-one-year-old like students not gonna be able to do anything. But just well, it's that a funny. the fact that they don't really care about their jobs because they're not getting paid enough anyway. Well, yeah, well, with the, she, well, the girl that was telling this little guy to go away was sitting on her phone for the entire game, so she didn't even care about the football. She's probably thinking, what on earth are these people going crazy about? There you go. That's why they've got Ferreros. He's a madman, I'll tell you. He was sitting dancing up and down like before the Massive. game. He wasn't after. <laughs> but yeah, there you go. Yeah, I... I I think I've been to the Marassi four times this season. Only one of them was for a Sampdoria game. Hmm. And it's hard to actually watch the match when he's so close because the press box is right behind where he sits and you just spend most of the time watching what he's up to because he's so interesting. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, he loves it. He needs to get a new scarf, though. I did notice that the scarf thing is like the one he always wears in his pictures. He needs to get a new one because it looks a bit... Uh, uh, it looks like a rag. It's <laughs> <laughs> had for too up. long. You can buy them one for Christmas, though. Uh, that that, that um, compromises my journalistic integrity, Conor Clancy, so we'll not be doing that. <laughs> and your um, constant support of Kievo doesn't. Anyway, all right, on that note, that mm. will do it for us. Um, thank you, Don. Very good, Conor. Bye-bye, everybody. Where will we go next? Okay, um... Yeah, I've put it off for long enough. Parma nil frozen on in nil. This was absolutely horrid. The weather was bad. It was cold. It was rainy. It was grey. And the football was even worse. Parma and frozen on were... Well, they delivered two of, if not the two, worst performances that I've seen this season. And I've seen Bologna play. And really, <laughs> this was... This was bad. Neither had anything about them. Parma were severely lacking creativity. Their reliance on Gervinho is bordering on a joke. They, all right, I don't want to be too harsh on Parma because I'm aware now. I can see the, the messages, the tweets, the DMs that I've been getting this season for not giving Parma enough praise. But they were really poor. Gervinho's only trick is he puts his head down and runs. If there's no space for him to run into, he's ineffective. He's not someone who can play a pass through three bodies and and find a run. There's no one even making those runs when Roberto Inglese doesn't play, which he didn't today because he wasn't fully fit. And uh, Frosinone, well, they're, they're just another case altogether. They are horrible. I saw them in their opening game of the season against Atalanta, Atalanta absolutely smashed them. And at the time, it looked like that was because Atalanta were this amazing team. But then Atalanta didn't win for another, what was it, close to two months or something. <laughs> um, Frozen on it, 
are poor. Empoli are poor as well down there. I'm just looking at the league table. And if it wasn't for Chievo, I would say that Frosinone will comfortably finish bottom this year. But yeah, let's not spend too long on this. Leo Stulich got sent off for Parma. It was a poor tackle on on Chibs. Uh, He's not a dirty player. He will be a big miss for them because he is, he's quite all action in the middle for them. He's good on the ball. He's good off the ball. He will definitely be missed. I, the best game... I'm sure you didn't watch this, Vito, and I I can't blame you for not watching it, but the, the best thing to come from this game was Bruno Alves, for a reason only known to him, did a bicycle kick in the middle of the pitch for some reason. I can't quite work out why, because he just kicked it out of play for a goal kick. <laughs> it was bizarre. Uh, Luigi Seppe again was okay he made an incredible save in the last minute to keep Parma with a point but he was terrible with the ball at his feet within about five minutes he nearly gifted the ball to Joel Campbell for a goal and then shortly after he had the ball at his feet again and tried to play a simple 25 yard pass and he just booted it out of play and then there was a chance in the second half where he caught the ball from a corner Parma wanted to break the crowd were urging him to release it quickly and he just held on to it for 10 seconds the crowd went mental on him um, he's been poor this year Ugh, again anyway right we'll move on from that okay Vito I'm sorry Sampdoria were hammered by Torino and before this week they had conceded four goals in nine games now they've conceded seven in two what has gone wrong in the last seven days one of the main problems is that Sampdoria have been defending deeper and I do think in some cases it is a confidence issue, but if this game was anything to go by, Torino deserve credit for playing a more direct and quicker game than Samp and they also were moving at a greater intensity as well. Uh, what I liked about Torino was that they were keen to apply the pressure and it wasn't like that they slowed down at 4-1. They were happy to go for the fifth goal as well. And I think with uh, Andrea Bellotti and the wingbacks playing well, as well as Iago Falke, I think that was really great for the Granata as well. Some, they just could not handle the physicality. They looked like they were more frail than Toro. And the midfield setup, usually it's been pretty good, but they could not really complete many passes. So that was disappointing. And I think because of that, that just added pressure on the defence who weren't able to play the ball out from the back as they usually would. Yeah, the one big plus to come from this was that Andrea Bellotti did score twice. And hopefully he can get back to something close to the best that we saw a couple of seasons ago. And I guess this is, this should be his last season at, Torino if he is to have the career that we all thought he would have surely this summer will be the time for him to move on I think he has to especially if after this game he goes on an amazing run of goals and he still produces something like 25 goals or more Torino are a team that should be having Europa League aspirations but I reckon they've underachieved in the last few years and it's scary to think that when they did qualify for Europe, Gian Piero Ventura was the coach and they had a good run 
then making the round of 16 from memory, so maybe even the quarterfinals. So I think it's uh, important for Matsari and his men to really wake up and really back themselves to get that Europa League spot, whether it's uh, due to Bellotti firing the goals or other players uh, making significant contributions. They definitely have a squad there to do that. They they built really well this summer, I think. Someone Zaga was Zaza rather was a really good signing. Um, he's not quite shown it just yet, but I, I do think he will prove to be a very good signing for them. Ventura, as you mentioned, continued his excellent start at Kievo. They lost two 0 against Sassuolo and remain on minus one points, which I've, I do think people go a little bit over the top with the Ventura hate. I mean, you see guys just chiming in on Twitter and stuff, any excuse to bash him. But I know he, he did terribly at Italy, but before that, he wasn't the worst coach in the world. But it is quite funny seeing Kievo on minus one points after 11 games. I, I don't have anything against Kievo or, well, I, I have a, a, a fair bit against Ventura, but not as much as many others do. But the fact that they still haven't won, they've only drawn twice and they are still on minus points. It's just quite a nice novelty, and I want it to go on until at least Christmas. Because Benevento <laughs> were terrible last year, and there were all these records about them being the worst team ever. Kiev are smashing it. Even without the minus, they're, they're on two points this season, which is... It's nothing other than funny. Sorry any Kiev fans listening, but there aren't enough of you to be listening anyway, so I think it's safe. <laughs> Um, uh, all right, this is what I've been Giacarini, Giacarini. Ah, yes. The own goal. Oh, thank you. Oh, my God. Speak about comedy. This, Vito, can you just talk the listeners through this, please? Because this was hilarious. I really wanted Domenico Berardi to bury that shot because I do like Berardi. I think I've always liked him since that first season, especially when he scored four against AC Milan. So it, he might not be progressing as well as I would like, but I still have admiration for him and I hope he does well. That being said, he wasn't able to convert that chance. Sorrentino saved it. And then I don't know what Giacarini was thinking. I think he tried to chest it and try to play the back pass, but uh, Giacarini and Sorrentino in sixes and sevens and the ball just rolled into the net. So uh, sometimes you just got to apply common sense. Forget this playing ball at the back all the time. Not everyone's Barcelona. When the ball is loose, you got space or you see that there's pressure, just kick the ball out, even if you give away a corner. But no, he had to put the ball down on his chest, let the ball roll in, and there you go. Kiev will lose another game, and Chakarini made an absolute fool of himself. It was absolutely amazing. And if you haven't seen it, just, just go and find it. It is probably the best worst, most incompetent, most funny, most amazing thing you will see all season. Why he's trying to chest it back to Sorrentino, who he has just seen dive to the ground to make a save, and he is standing no more than two yards away from him, and he thinks Sorrentino is going to be able to react that quickly at what? What age is Sorrentino? 56? No. (laughs) Gigi Donnarumma couldn't even react that quickly. Sorrentino is an amazing goalkeeper and everything, but seriously... It's such a shame for Giaccarini, though, because he's been amazing for Chievo, even through all of this. Mm. He is the one consistent player they have. 
and he always seems to be at these teams that he is a lot better than and I, I quite like him as a player I wish he would go somewhere else maybe Bergamo but definitely <laughs> away from Kievo all right speaking let's go. of mm. go no I was gonna say if um now in a hypothetical if he did win Satellante he'd be a good wing back left wing back or even left winger yeah well at case, the moment uh, they've been relying on Ali Adnan to come on Robin Gozens is amazing, but Ali Adnan isn't. <laughs> and I would rather have Jacarini as the second choice in that position. Right, let's go yeah. to Atalanta, because they beat Bologna. Yeah. They won after going 1-0 yeah. down, giving me an absolute scare. Because we said last week, right, that <laughs> Federico Santander would score and Bologna would win, and I'd be silent. Yeah. The big man didn't score. But he and... did create the goal for him by it. <sighs> yeah, yeah. He, he did, but... What was the score in the end, Vito? Of course, Atalanta won. <laughs> I'm just pointing out he was involved in a goal. I'm not just saying yeah. that he, he, he played an amazing game because he and didn't. The, sh- <laughs> the shocking thing that emerged for me this week since we last recorded is that Federico Santander was awarded Bologna's, well, their equivalent of the, month? Player of the month. They call it MVP. I've been in my bonnet about that to begin with. But Federico Santander won player of the month for his club two months in a row. If I would that... have given that to Orsolini for last month, mm. at least on what I've seen anyway. If that doesn't show you just how terrible Bologna have been this year, then nothing will. <laughs> Myself and Dov have seen Bologna a few times between us, and we maintain they are the worst team we've seen this year. And people keep messaging me when, when Bologna so much as score a goal now. Be like, oh, remember when you said they were terrible? Mm-hmm. They are terrible. It's just that Empoli, well, Frozenone, and Chievo are also terrible. But mm. Bologna, my God, they are bad. And it is summed up by the fact that Santander has been their best player for the last two months. According to the mm-hmm. club themselves, it's, it's madness. But anyway, Atalanta won. And I should call them actually... Crisis Club Atalanta are now 10th. The Crisis Club are now one point behind Roma, one point behind Fiorentina, two points behind Torino, three behind Sassuolo in sixth. And they are just six points off Lazio. So, as I said six weeks ago, I think people were getting a little bit carried away by Atalanta's poor start to the season. And things are starting to fall into place. Gasparini, of course, deserves credit because he said publicly, and I would imagine even harsher words in the dressing room, but he did say publicly that they had to change their objectives and focus on survival. And since then, they've won, I think it's three on the bounce. So credit to them. I've just noticed, actually, Vito, I'm sorry to raise this, but Atalanta are now ahead of Sampdoria on goal difference. A bit unfortunate from a Sampdoria perspective, but uh, I think this is the reality at the moment. Teams like Sampdoria and Atalanta are among the outsiders fighting for the Europa League spots. So, yeah, we'll just have to see how the season progresses and how both sides handle the fixtures. So, obviously, from a Sump perspective, I would love us to finally qualify for Europe again. But, you know, it's teams like Atalanta that will be a threat for us. And with this return to form, especially if... Um, Ilicic can remain fit, I think we've really got to be watching our backs a lot because we can't have any more slips. 
never mind your back speed up. We're in front of you now. And that is where we plan to stay. So sorry to bring that up. But yeah, you, you raised the point. We have been going on for 50 minutes now, which is far longer than I expected between the two of us to that. People watching, listening, whatever you're doing, remember you can head over to ForzaItalianFootball.com for every piece of match coverage and Serie A news you could possibly ask for. Interface Barcelona on Tuesday, and I would imagine that Dov Schiavone will be there at San Siro for that. So head over to our Instagram at ForzaItalianFootball, our Twitter at Serie A FFC, and on Facebook at ForzaItalianFootball as well, because we are smashing it. And remember, hashtag FIF at the games. Vito, thank you very much for joining me this week. You're welcome, Connor. And that is all I have to say. So, until next time, it's ciao for now. Ciao. Yo darei la vita, la mia vita, in fondo lo so. Sarà una partita infinita. El sogno que ho è un coro che sale a sognare se giù dalla notte 90 minuti per segnare e azzurri noi saremo qui nero azzurri pazzi come te nero azzurri non fateci soffrire ma va bene vincere
Here you go. Got our clans here. Some of the bants. Getting the bants in. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.